Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, I, I just kind of wanted to mimic what the Flames did last night. Uh, didn't start on time, did they? Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, welcome. Uh, I am your host. Uh, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, again, you know who you are. Uh, glad you could be with us. We are live in the Oodle Noodle studios. Uh, we're not just crazy about noodles. Uh, we put the same energy back into the community. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest and 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Pickup and delivery. Uh, I like it. I think you're going to like it. I think we're going to have a fun show today. Bonesaw is going to be here. We will get uh, the legendary Hall of Fame voice of the Calgary Flames, Peter Marr. He'll join us uh, coming up in just a couple of moments. Uh, later on, uh, one of the podcasts I used to produce was for Kidsport called uh, the Face First Podcast uh, with Alicia Rissling, who is now retired from Bob Slay, but an Olympian, and uh, Grace Dayful, who is chasing her Olympic dream in skeleton. So uh, they all, I, I always enjoyed their podcasts. Uh, it was a Kidsport-based podcast, but they always got into some really good topics. And, and as the producer, I never really got to weigh in on any of them. So uh, some of those we will get into here today. A uh, reminder that tomorrow's our next show, not Friday. Uh, long weekend. We're going to squeeze one in tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to it. J.D. Lewis, uh, yes, that J.D. Uh, from CJ. He's our UFC insider. He'll join us. Lots to talk about in the UFC world, uh, as well, uh, Eric Dehatchuk, who I believe is back and is going to join us live in the Oodle Noodle studio. So I'm really excited about that, looking forward uh, to all of that. Um, a lot to get to today. Um, this is one of those days in which I, I thank the good Lord above for Afterburner, and I, I thank the good Lord above for, the, uh, for Barnburner. Uh, because I think Ryan and Boomer and, and Rhett, uh, over the course of the last 12 to 14 hours, 
have done a much better job of articulating the uh, passion, the uh, um, frustration, the issues that I think um, many who uh, support the local hockey heroes or at least follow their journey felt after a uh, a 4-3 loss to Chicago. Want to be careful how I say this. This is because we always you always hate that guy that, see, I told you so, uh, even though you don't remember him ever saying anything about it. On Monday, when we talked about the next two games, Winnipeg obviously tonight being the big one, two points back, that sort of thing, just worried about the the attention to detail and getting ahead of yourself. All of these things that are tropes or, you know, old wives' tales or uh, rumors or, or, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is the Flames have been playing uh, – catch-up hockey now for a month. Uh, we know that there was a little set two and a little uh, uh, meeting after a big loss in, in Los Angeles uh, three weeks ago. Uh, since then, the team's been on a wee bit of a roll. Um, it just felt, watching that game, that there wasn't much left, that the emotional energy had been used up. I, I would also suggest that, and a guy that's taking... And he, and he listen. He was he showed up last night after the game, and he spoke to the media. And I don't think he shied away from anything. But Nazem Kadri um, play led to to two goals against. Um, just a lot of sloppy. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Pedro. Um, anyway, there you go. Some feedback. I wasn't quite expecting that, but uh, Pedro very upset. Uh, I I disagree with the zero accountability part. Uh, I really do. I think he showed up. Uh, I don't think he pointed any fingers. I think, again, Pedro's tweet there is an illustration of why I'm thankful that Afterburner and Barnburner went on because I think it's important to deal with those emotions and those feelings. Uh, the, the reality is I just think you you played yourself into such a hole and then you got everybody and yourselves believing that you could get out of it. But the team that played the Boston Bruins and, and really kind of uh, beat the crap out of them, um, the team that won at home against Tampa Bay, the team that, uh, by the way, lost the Bruins game, I know that, but was one of their better efforts, or the Rangers game after the All-Star break, the, the, the team that seemed to play up to the level of better teams and, and you know tilt the ice and, and create all those shot attempts, they outshot Chicago last night, but not to the same extent. I just don't think there was anything left in the tank as far as Kadri goes. And, and when we get Pete on, uh, I certainly want to ask him about his feelings on... Uh, he came in, he and Huberdo were the replacements for Goudreau and Kachuk. That, that's it, straight across the board. That's what it was, right? And then Mackenzie Weger was an add-on and a first-round pick and all that sort of thing. Uh, Nazem Kadri, I think, has tried to do his best coming in here this year, but I don't think he, you know, I don't think he could replace the top end guys. Uh, if you look at him, he's fourth or third in scoring, um, but considerably back. Huberto is less than half of his point production from last year. But rather than me pontificate on it, why don't we bring in somebody momentarily 
who can do a much better job because he's seen it all. Uh, guests here on Just a Game brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, 76 years in Calgary. Now just three locations because the Windsport location is closed for the season. So thanks to Neil for pointing that out. So three locations are open right now. McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's, just down the hill from Windsport. By the way, uh, we've seen some great snow in, in, the, uh, in the mountains, so if you're looking f- to keep warm, you're looking to get out to the mountains, check out the great deals at Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Pleasure and honor, as always, to bring in our good friend, our dear friend, uh, the voice of the Calgary Flames for so many of us, uh, the Hall of Famer Peter Marr joins us this afternoon on Just a Game. Pete, how you holding up? Holding up pretty good, Rob. Pretty good. <laughs> Was not uh, not a very uh, entertaining game to be watching last night from a fan standpoint of the Flames, but um, it, it was puzzling really on my uh, my vantage point okay. how little how little uh, this team had desperation for such an important game, you know. And they they talk about the fact that you know some uh, indicated that maybe they were looking ahead to tonight's game against Winnipeg. Well. A veteran team doesn't do that. And yeah. this is a veteran team. Uh, uh, this Flame squad is the second oldest team in the league. Yep. Uh, you know, they, the, the approach of the game should have been uh, top-notch last night, even though they were playing the worst team in the league and had another game tonight against the, the team that they're trying to pass to get in the playoffs. But they just didn't have any jump, any spark. And, uh, you know, so many turnovers through the, through the course of, of the game. And then, of course, they led to the, the goals that were scored by uh, Chicago to uh, – pull off that uh, victory the the Blackhawks came into the game having lost eight straight yeah. I mean some people figure they were tanking to, to get the <laughs> to get the Connor Bedard and uh, yet they were able to knock off the Flames in such a, a critical game so um, you know a, a, another thing that puzzles me here is that Blake mm. Coleman uh, made a comment uh, not that long ago it might have been two weeks ago he was saying we've got a good team here we just don't know how to win yeah I found that puzzling considering, yeah. you know, the veteran team that they have, plus there's four players on that team, including Coleman, that are uh, past Stanley Cup winners. So, it, you know, there's just, it, it's really puzzling how this team hasn't performed up to the uh, level that I thought they would going into the year. Well, you're in playoff level. Uh, you're in playoff mode because you just gave me three different branches to go off of this. So let me start first. I want to pose this back to you. Um, as I said, right off the top, I'm so excited that after Burner was on last night and the barn burner went already today, cause I think they handled the emotional, you know, the necessary emotional issues and baggage that the fans have and calling for heads and, and all of those sort of things. I wanted to look at this a little bit more rashly, rationally, Pete, I just wonder if you can play that chase hockey. And I call it chase hockey because they're chasing a spot. They're chasing a team in many ways. Well, in the last three games, for sure, they were chasing the game at some point. I just don't know if there's any emotional uh, equity left in these guys. And I, I will get to the Coleman comment in a second. But we, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of Brent Sutter's first year here with the Flames that, you know, they were right around a playoff spot at the trade deadline and then they fell out and they, they, they tried, they tried, they tried, but they just couldn't get back into it. It's hard when you're chasing. When you put yourself in the position that the Flames put themselves in, it's, it's a hard game. You're thinking about it. It takes its toll. I just wonder if they just didn't have enough emotion left, for the lack of a better term. 
You know, it, it is a valid point, Rob. The, the the thing, though, that I would say with that is that they shouldn't be in this position. 100%. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, if they were, I mean, they, the only good run there, well, they had a, a good run at the beginning of the year when they won uh, one of the five of their first six games, their best start in franchise history. Yep. And then uh, in the last run up to last night where they won four, or otherwise they hadn't had any really uh, sustained uh, good runs on the season and have put themselves into this uh, jeopardy. So it is a valid point that you make that, you know, maybe they've just run out of that uh, – that steam, if you will, and, and uh, don't have any any left. But you would have thought they would have had to play half as well last night as they did. They'd have won the game last night. Sure. And, uh, you know, they've lost three games to Chicago this year. Yeah. Worst team in the league. Yeah. If they, you know, if, if they don't want all of those, they'd be ahead of Winnipeg today. Well, so it's, um, it's really puzzling how this, this year has gone. And, uh, you know, to me, and I think I said it the last time I was on this show, yeah. if you follow Daryl, Daryl Sutter's game plan, you'll win. You'll yep. have success. Yeah, I, I haven't seen them play Daryl type hockey very often this year. And and then, okay, so let me bridge this conversation now to the Blake Coleman conversation. And this is just a hypothesis, Pete. It really is because I haven't been down in the room. I, I haven't been around the team at all. But at the time of those comments from Blake Coleman, it seems to me that that's when the leaks were coming out about the the lack of cohesion and the players not getting along with the coach and and all of those sort of things. And I I just wonder at the time, and I wondered at the time, if those comments from Blake Coleman about not knowing how to win was more about shut up and do your job from a veteran player. Yeah, I, I think that was the I think that was the intent of his comment. By all not saying it that way, but right. And then they did. They had that players only meeting after that eight two loss. Yep. Against Los Angeles, and then they went on the run that uh, that four straight wins that came to an end last night. So you know that that was a, a healthy topic for him to to bring up among the players, and I'm sure. Uh, when they had the players only meeting, he was probably even more open about that type of situation and bringing out the fact that uh, we've got to quit this complaining and just go out and play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it worked for four games. And, and, you know, to correspond with that, Winnipeg, who they're playing tonight, they had a similar situation about a week and a half ago where there was all kinds of talk mm-hmm. about their coach, Rick Bonus, having trouble communicating, getting through to the players. Right. Uh, Sh- uh, was one of the main names that was out there. So they had their players only meeting, and since then they've gone on and won a couple of games in a row to get themselves back into the into the uh, playoff spot. So um, and and Rick Bonus couldn't be any more of a different coach than Daryl Sutter. <laughs> I mean, Daryl was a guy that yeah. uh, you know he has his outlines for the game, and then he you know he really pushes his players hard to get the maximum out of them, and sometimes that you know grows a little old. In the case of Rick Bonus, he's a guy that he comes out with his game plans, and then he's constantly patting his players on the back, saying how good they're going or whatever, right. to encourage them positively. Now, he did have a couple of little breakdowns of that losing streak uh, before they went into their current run, but, um, you know, he he couldn't be more opposite. And, uh, you know, that's really intriguing. And tonight they're going to coach against each other like they did last year in the, in the playoff series when Bonus was coaching with uh, Dallas. And it was a great series of the Flames managed to pull that one out so but yeah i mean you, i mean they, they just can't use it as an excuse that they're they're tired they're trying to catch up because they put themselves in that position and they should be in it i don't think they should be necessarily leading the uh, pacific division but they should be in a playoff spot right now giving the uh personnel that's on this team 
Well, I think we're as we get closer and closer to the uh, the the playoffs. I think we're seeing a lot of mea culpas across the media, and and uh, I I just assume everybody's always heard every conversation you and I've had. So it's sometimes when I bring stuff up that we talked about in the past, I feel like I'm being repetitive. But you and I had long conversations, did we not? About I I'm not a fan of predictions. I'm not a fan of. You know, having you know, picking who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. Every season has its own ebbs and flows. Having said that, my expectation was clearly that this team was a playoff team. Um, but I've yeah. seen some people doing some mea culpas that had this team in the, in the Stanley Cup final uh, and, and those types of things. This is not, and we've said this over and over and over again, this is not a team overachieving. This is a complete underperformance. But they have put themselves in such a, a situation that, you know, a deflating loss. I, I, having said that, they might even win tonight. It's just crazy enough to happen, right? We've we've seen that movie yeah. before. Yeah. Pete, I, I'm not... If they, if they do turn it around and win tonight, it'll be a lot of it because of the, the performance last night. They'll, you know, they feel guilty about that. Right. And come up with a stronger performance tonight. The only factor is, I think tonight's game is their fourth game in six nights. Yep. And Winnipeg, uh, you know, was rested, didn't play last night, and uh, nope. Flames of the second in back-to-back with travel over there after the game last night. But, you know, if they can rise to the occasion, I say they have a chance to, to knock off the Jets in, in tonight's game and then, you know, get themselves back in it. But it's going to be a tough finish for them with the game in Vancouver on Saturday and then two home games next week on uh, Monday and Wednesday, as uh, as the schedule indicates there, yeah. those uh, closing games in, in the Saddle Dome. So, but tonight's game, if they don't win tonight's game, their their chances are pretty much null and void. I, and they have to win it in regulation time. They can't afford to give Winnipeg any points tonight. Right. Um, exactly. So, yeah, and and, and exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say there, there's no scenario in which they now don't need help somewhere because Winnipeg's got a yeah. game in hand on them. Right. Yeah. So they're going to need help, which is it goes right back to the original premise you had in all of this. You know, last night, tonight doesn't matter. You put yourselves in this position and, and now you have to live with the consequence of it. I want to ask you about Nazem Kadri, not and I know what it sounds like. It sounds like I'm trying to give him cover. Uh, it is not my attempt to give him cover. Uh, did not play well last night, directly resulted in a couple of goals and some giveaways. Um, you've seen enough players that have come in that have been asked to elevate their role. And I know, but Rob, he won a Stanley Cup. Yep. And he was a huge part of that Colorado team. Yep, he was. But he wasn't the driver. That's Nathan McKinnon. That was, you know, uh, uh, other players. There were, he was a really yeah, good second. Right, really good second-line player. Did we find out this year how difficult it is to be a top-line player in the NHL that some guys given the opportunity still. And and the comparison I would make, Pete, and I don't know, maybe this is completely unfair, but you'll remember when Rennie Bork was going to be the replacement for Jerome McGinley. He had 20 goals, and and Rennie now, you know, he could take some of that load. And, and I don't, you know, I remember being in some of those scrums, and, and Rennie didn't like that. Like, you know, that was a lot of pressure. Is Kadri kind of stuck in one of those situations that he's been asked to be a number one guy, but he can't be? 
that that that's a very good point you bring up there, Rob. Uh, it's one that I hadn't really really considered. But you're right. When he played with the Avalanche last year, he he was very uh, strong part of them winning the cup. But he yep. was not the premier guy. There were other guys there that were leading the way for them. Right now, having said that, I thought over the first half of this season that Kadri was the Flames' best player, certainly mm-hmm. the best forward. Yep. And you know he went to the All Star game as the the lone Flame uh, representative yep. there. And um, and but it seems that ever since and since he's come back, he hasn't been the same player at all. And last night, I th- I thought it reached another uh, an absolute low for him yep. on this year. I mean, he caused some two goals with kind of lack lackluster of yep. play. Yep. And um, you know, mentally, you're right. He he may be feeling the pressure of uh, supposedly being a top player on this team and not really being you know built to be the top player. He's built to be a contributor, a strong contributor, but he's not playing with any fight or any or any uh, emotion out there, it seems. And, of course, there, there was some talk that he and Daryl had a little bit of a friction there, and Daryl benched him uh, one of the games. Now, in last night's game, despite the fact that he made the, the blunders on those uh, two two goals that the Black do, the goals the Blackhawks got, he still played as he much did. ice time as he's played in any game this year. Daryl yep. just kept putting him back out there. So, yep. Uh, you know, it's a, it's real, real puzzling the whole situation with him. But he seems to have lost interest, or maybe that is fatigue. Maybe uh, been in a leadership role that he wasn't quite, um, you know, supposed to be in. That they're built to be in, I should say. But on top of that, he's one of the highest paid players on the team. Absolutely. Uh, this year. Now next year, when the salaries of Uyghur goes in, he's not going to be, but he is uh, this year. And so, you know, you expect more out of him. It's funny, Gavin just threw up the his uh, NHL stats. And you take out last year, which was a career year for him at 87 points, we'd be talking about potentially his best point production season with some games remaining. He's at 54. Could he get to 61 that he got with Toronto? It's not out of the realm of possibility. But last year, it reminds me so much of the David Moss question, Pete, in a different way. Are you a 20-goal scorer or did you score 20 goals? Yes, valid point. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. So there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You and Mike so. Vernon might take a little umbrage with this because you both saw it, and we know the run, the, the, the kind of the sometimes the fans got on Mike. Uh, last night after that fourth goal, big Bronx cheer the next time Markstrom played the puck. Uh, he got pulled in the game against Anaheim. Daryl Sutter backed him, said, I'm going to go with my ace. Uh, you know, you need a goalie to steal you a game. I, 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 I don't think he cost them the game last night, Pete. He, but he wasn't, he, he wasn't great. He was just good. He was an NHL caliber goalie. He wasn't the, the savior that they needed at, at the most important time. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right with that. He, he wasn't, you know, he, he had some lackadaisical play in front of him that led to those goals. But, you know, the good, the great goaltenders make the saves to make up for the blunders that were made by teammates in front of him, and he didn't do that last night. He, you know, he came up with a number of great saves, but uh, you know, he didn't make those saves on those particular plays that we're talking about. And he did get the booze out, but having said that, uh, he, he doesn't get the booze that often. Um, when you compare him to what Mike Vernon went through right. at times in his career, here, like I remember Mike telling me at one time. My parents can't come to the games anymore because uh, the fans are picking on them because I'm not having a great night. Yet Mike Vernon's one of the greatest goaltenders the Flames ever had. In fact, he's the only goalie that's... 
being the guy in the Nets in, in 1989. Yep. Then he went on to win another Stanley Cup in uh, Detroit. And I know when he came back here, like he was brought back to by the Flames back in, what was it, 99 or 2000, somewhere in that range. And he came back and, and, um, and personally, if I'd have been running the team, I wouldn't have brought him back because I know that he was treated not very well by the fans in his hometown. Yeah. Like he's, a, he's a Calgary native. He was the goaltender on on the on the premier hockey team in 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 his city, and yet you know if he had a bad night, they were very quick to uh, boo him and yell uh, uh, all kinds of insults at him and his family. So, um, but he did come back and he played another season or so here with the Flames. But uh, but uh, you know, Marksham is not even close to being attacked like Vernon was when he was the <laughs> Flame uh, goaltender. Maybe Marksham should sit down with Vernon at some point and have a little bit of a conversation. And uh, he can he can teach him to, to block some of that out if it's it's being a factor with uh, how he performs in the games. But as I say, he, he's not getting booed nearly as much as Vernon got booed here. And Vernon won most of his games here, so <laughs> a lot more than he lost, that's for sure. Um, not much to talk about on the other side. I, I thought Peter Morazic was good, uh, but I don't think again. I don't think he came in and stole this game. No, that that wasn't the headline today, but it was a little bit bittersweet watching nineteen for Chicago. Jonathan Taves, Pete. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that was maybe the last time we're going to see him in the Dome. Um, And if it is, what an incredible career. Yes, indeed so, Rob. But, you know, he's not the player now that he was was in his prime and helping and leading the Blackhawks Mm -hmm. to their Stanley Cup championships. But he is indeed, uh, you know, he's indeed a great, great character. And, you know, he's been through a lot with the the illness, the uh, continuation of covid that has plagued him, uh, you know, last he missed the whole season in there. And then uh, this year he's missed it some time up until recently. But I think a, a real interesting note in last night's game was in the warm-up when he was tossing uh, pucks into the crowd mm-hmm. to uh, spectators that were near the uh, the bench of the uh, Blackhawks. And that, to me, gave me a little bit of an indication that, you know, this is going to be his uh, final hurrah in a game here in the, uh, in the saddle dome, which will be too bad. He's, you know, he's a, he's an older player now, yep. but I think if he hadn't had those health issues, he, he could probably continue on and, uh, and, uh, you know, play a couple of more years in, in the league. But it seems to me like uh, this is going to be his final, was his final hurrah in the saddle dome. And soon it'll be his final hurrah in the NHL as a player, but certainly he has hall of fame credentials yep. and uh, his, his, uh, his performances in, in prime time uh, are not going to be forgotten. And this is a guy, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity, and I think you have too, Rob, interview him on a yep. number of occasions. He's always been very forthcoming and very easy to uh, to talk to. And and um, uh, uh, from the distance, a very valuable leader that the Blackhawks have had for so many years. Pete, I know there's Stanley Cups in there. There's international with Hockey Canada and, and Team Canada. But I, I, I want to pose this to you. Is his greatest achievement um, alongside Patrick Kane resurrecting that franchise? Because I, I think people have a little bit or maybe have forgotten, and you can speak to this better than anybody, some of those Sunday afternoon games, you know, back around 2005, 2006, before he and Kane got there, like they, it was a terrible run organization. It was just... And then almost overnight, those two guys turned it into a powerhouse. Well, those two guys were the very, very definitely the two players that turned it around on the ice for the for the Blackhawks after those dismal, dismal years they had. But some would say it was uh, Bill Wirtz, who was the former owner mm-hmm. of the team, uh, uh, passing on the ownership to his son. Yeah. When then they started spending more money 
to bring in uh, top-notch players to uh, to go with those two guys and, and some others that they had. So uh, that, you know, to me, uh, the fans in Chicago were starting to get a little bit upset with uh, the Blackhawks having such poor, poor performances, even though they were still selling out all of their games mm-hmm. through those tough times that we were talking about. Uh, but then once they were able to, once they got those two guys going and then backed them up with some very solid uh, players as well, spent some money uh, on players, uh, they became a real powerhouse in the, in the NHL. And unfortunately now they're going through a, you know, a rebuild uh, situation, which, you know, most teams that have success uh, on a, on a long run as the Blackhawks did uh, are going to run into yeah. that sort of situation in, in, in rebuilding time. So uh, it's too bad that Kane has now moved on to play with the, uh, the Rangers is no longer there with the Blackhawks. Uh, Taves is uh, the, you know, the last guy from that uh, group, at least the leadership group yeah. uh, of the Blackhawks. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that his career ends with the team that's going to finish uh, near the bottom of the, of the NHL standing, but that's, that's the way things work. But yeah, the, it definitely turned that franchise around and made them a more uh, competitive team and, and satisfying the uh, the fans in Chicago. You're right. I, I think we we need to tip our hats as well to to Seabrook and to um, and, and to Keith as well. I mean, there was a, a great leadership group, and as you take a look there, I mean, they're just yeah. for so long they were just so bad, and yeah. then. Yeah. But the other thing that they did, Pete, that I and you can speak to this better than I can, but Ch- Chicago likes a winner and they were able to cut through and K Taves and Kane were just as big a deal. I mean, the Cubs are, that's a Cubbies town. That's a bears town. It's to a lesser extent. No, it's a bulls town to a lesser extent, a white Sox town, but you know, Kane and Taves cut through that. They were able to give the, the Blackhawks a, a very big profile in that city too. They definitely did. No question about that. I mean, up until that time, anytime you go to Chicago, the uh, the big appeal was to the uh, to the basketball team, the Bulls, who yep. were winning championships in the NBA and uh, and uh, Michael Jordan and all of that uh, yep. situation in, in in there. And but those two guys came in and brought this team up to the same level, if not above the level uh, of the uh, of the basketball team. Uh, once they got them firm footing into the ground, and of course the event. Eventually, the basketball team had faded a bit, and uh, but yeah, I mean, if they hadn't brought in Caves and Kane and Keith and, and Seabrook and a few other players, um, you know, they'd have stayed in the doldrums of the league and, and would be, you know, maybe the the third or fourth rated team with regard to the city of, of Chicago. But he certainly uh, brought in much, much more excitement for their fans and, and a winning ways and allowed them to become more prominent in the city and, and more prominent like they were uh, back in the days when they had Stan Nikita and Bobby Hall and uh, Pierre mm-hmm. Mallott, Glenn Hall and all that gang when they were uh, they won the Stanley Cup but were finishing in first place in the, in the regular season a number of times uh, during that uh, spread when the Blackhawks then were right up there. You know, they may have been the premier team in Chicago after the Cubs at that particular uh, point in time, but that fell off, but then they got it back again with those uh, two guys in particular uh, leading the way well here's a nice nifty little transition former captain of the Blackhawks will become the guy who coaches the Flames the most tonight right does Daryl Sutter not pass Badger Bob Johnson he's going to pass him tonight and this will be his 401st regular season game as head coach of the Flames and Badger Bob uh, coached to 400 games uh, regular season with the Flames. And, you know, it's a new, real interesting note, Rob. Uh, uh, I was pointing it out the other day when I was with some uh, some Flame fans is that uh, 
Badger Bob coached the Flames for five years, mm-hmm. five consecutive years. And then you had uh, Bob Hartley coach the Flames for four consecutive years. Beyond that, the time this team has been in Calgary, they've had no coach coach this team longer than three years wow. in succession. Now, Daryl is, is a situation in that the first time he came in, it was roughly the middle of the 02-03 season, yep. and he went on to coach the team for two and a half years. And then he came back here to the Flames a couple of years ago in midseason again, roughly, and uh, this is his second full season. So he's, you know, he's been, been as the coach as long as uh, Badger Bob has with regard to uh, the games, but not in, in succession. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how short terms the Flames coaches have had mm-hmm. when you look back at the history of, of, the, of the team. And, uh, you know, Badger Bob, uh, I mean, I could talk all day about uh, stories with Badger Bob and the time when he was coach of the, uh, of the Flames. I mean, there was never, I, I've never met a coach that was more upbeat than Badger <laughs> Bob. Yep. I mean, every day he'd come in, it's a great day for hockey. And I think there was only one time that I saw him have a down, down moment. And that was one time after a game, I believe it was in the saddle. It was in the saddle dome. It was against Edmonton. I think the final score was nine, one for Edmonton. The losing like that in your own building. <laughs> and after the game, when he was meeting with the media, he had a down moment there for about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden he snapped out of it, but we'll come back. We got a great deal at Joel there near the end from Poplitsky and we'll go on. We're going to win the, we're going to win some more games. And that, that was Bob and it was every day. Every yeah. day, he was an upbeat, beat guy. And, you know, you go back to um, he was the most superstitious guy I've ever been around in my life. And uh, just to give you some examples of that, like you do a coach's show with him every day. Most of the time, we do a recording of it uh, in the morning after the, the morning skate and then would run it on the air prior to the game. And, uh, and uh, Bob had a superstition that if we won, the if Flames won the game prior to two or this one that we were doing, we had to go back to the same location to do the show and do the interview. And uh, the most popular place, and maybe Daryl should go there for some of his segments, is to the boiler room of the saddle door. <laughs> that was, <laughs> we went there more often than not and had long winning streaks doing the show out of there. A couple of really interesting ones. Another, another time the team had a winning streak, where Bob would sit on a Zamboni and I'd be standing next to him and interviewing him in that kind of situation. He'd even do that if it was a road game and he'd have to go over and kind of talk to the, the guy who would drove the uh, Zamboni, say in Chicago or wherever, and convince them that he could sit on the Zamboni for five minutes to do the coaches show. So he was, he was pretty amazing. And then there was another time that we didn't get to do it in the morning and, uh, about two hours before the start of the game at that time we were doing the coaches show in the penalty box and so we're in vancouver for a game in the old building there in vancouver so about uh, two hours maybe an hour and a half before the game we're walking across the ice from where the dressing rooms are to the penalty box we get there the penalty box gate is locked so badger bob gets up on the rail and climbs over the glass and into the uh, penalty box to open the gate so I could get in, and we did the interview there. Then we get out after that five minutes was done and walked back across the ice. So I'm looking around the building, and I sit and thinking to myself, well, at least nobody saw us here. (laughs) They won't be uh, bringing up this this crazy situation here. And then I get up into the broadcast booth, and Jim Robson, the long-time broadcaster for the Canucks, was up there. He says to me, what was Johnson doing climbing over the glass to get into the penalty box a while ago? So it was 
uh, it was pretty uh, intriguing being around it. Bachelor Bob. It was just, I love uh, it. Another, another time, uh, he had, we used to do it, we have to go up to the row of the game the Flames were trying to win. So this was, this was, uh, didn't last long, fortunately. Uh, the, we were in the you weren't up to row 50 Buffalo. yet. <laughs> Pardon me? You weren't up to row 50 yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're there, and so this time the Flames are going for their 38th win of the year. And so we had to walk up 38 steps to this uh, row to sit down and do the show. So we did the thing, and then I said to Bob after, you know, I don't wish any bad will for the Flames, but I hope this winning streak ends soon. And so, so uh, that was Bob. He was such a such a character. Oh my gosh! And, you know, and, and you know, he didn't win the Stanley Cup here, but he helped build the uh, team that did win the Stanley Cup in in 1989. Yeah. Uh, with his uh, with his patience uh, when he was around young players. I mean, he was a great great teacher, an innovator. I mean, one of the things that he, he innovated, you see it now sometimes when a team gets a bench penalty for having too many players on the ice. They'll send one of their top players to the uh, penalty box to serve that two minutes. Back in those days, you would send props your least ice time player over for that penalty. Sure. But Bob, he would have Lanny McDonald go and serve that two minute penalty. And the reason was, is was he might be coming out of the penalty box just as the puck comes up into his area where the player steps out of the box, gets the puck, got a breakaway or a great scoring chance. And at first, Lanny didn't quite understand that. He was looking at it as being, uh, he was a, you know, dejecting him a little bit and bringing him down. But he eventually realized what the whole situation was about and scored a couple of goals that way coming out of the penalty box. So those were all, all those that did much more innovation that, that Bob had. He was an outstanding guy. You know, you know, he didn't win a cup here, but he did win the cup in uh, Pittsburgh in, uh, Pittsburgh yep. in uh, 1991. And, um, you know, it was, he won the, the, as coach of the Penguins, Mario Lemieux, of course, was the star player then. And I, it was after that, that he ended up that he had a brain aneurysm that, uh, that was brain cancer. And he ultimately passed away way too soon as yeah. a result of that. And I'll remember that uh, September of uh, 1991, after the Penguins had won the Stanley cup flames had an exhibition game in Colorado Springs. And that's where Bob was uh, when he was uh, with this illness that he had. And um, he was at the game. And before the game, he was in a little room down near where the uh, dressing rooms are. And uh, I had the opportunity to go in and, and see him at that point. He couldn't talk, uh, but he was as sharp as ever. He'd write things. He'd write mm -hmm. things down on his notepad, his famous notepad that he always had behind the bench. He had that with him. He'd write things down and show you what he, uh, you know, what he was thinking and that sort of thing. It was really sad to see him in that type of uh, situation. But nonetheless, he was uh, trying to make the, the most of it. And I understand as the season started uh, that year for the Penguins, even though Scotty Bowman had taken over as coach of the team, uh, Bob would still be sending uh, messages to uh, Scotty, uh, even from his, his sickbed and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, he's, he's a total different from Daryl. Yeah, a little, yeah, <laughs> and, just slightly. <laughs> and you do the coaches show with, uh, with Bob, and you'd ask him one question, then I could run for coffee. Because he'd go on and talk for five minutes. <laughs> and you can come back and ask the second question. Of course, we all know Daryl at some of his media, or all, almost oh, yeah. all of his media conferences, the answers are extremely, extremely short. So, uh, but it's a great, uh, a great uh, deal for Daryl to match Bob's record last night. And tonight we'll pass him as the uh, all time uh, uh, winningest coach in, in Flame history. Now, another notable Badger Bob, he's the only 
only Calgary Flame coach to beat the Oilers in the playoffs. Yep. Doing that as the coach in 1986 in that overwhelming upset uh, in Edmonton when they went game number seven. All right. Because part of the, the job of this program is to highlight Calgary and we want to keep some of the stories alive, I do want to ask you about three different Bob Badger Bob stories. You mentioned 86, which featured which featured a 10 or 11 game losing streak, 11 game losing streak, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Can you tell this story about Bob bringing in Eric DeHatchuk and, and George Shaky Johnson? You know, the one about, uh, you brought him in and wanted to know about why they were writing about this so-called losing streak. I think it was nine games into it or something like that. <laughs> Talks about your positivity, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, I'm just trying to get the, I'm just trying to get how he put that. It's, no, yes. He, he had the George and uh, Eric come into the, his office and talk about that. And it was, I think it was, you say it was nine games that turned out to be 11 games. Yeah. And he, he, he said he was talking about the fact that you're making too much of a point of this. This is not really a losing streak. It's just a little dip. <laughs> <laughs> Which was Bob, right? Which was Bob. That's Bob. That's Bob. Yep. Yep. Truer, <laughs> truer, false, Pete. That you mentioned of being an innovator. Did Bob dress up special goalies for a practice one time? Yes. Yes, he did. This this was a real interesting one. Uh, that was, of course, that was in '86 when Grant Fuhrer, of course, was the uh, the goaltender for the uh, for the uh, Oilers. Yep. And of course, he's left-handed or left-handed goaltender. Not too many of them around. And I think it was the goalie from uh, one of the goalies from the University of Calgary team that Bob had come in one day uh, on an off day and put him in the nets so that the Flames, when they were out in practice, were shooting at a left-handed goaltender as opposed to the, the right-handers. The Flames had two goaltenders at that time, and both of them were, <laughs> were right-handers, including Mike uh, uh, Vernon. And, yes, he did do that. He brought them in. And then another time he had another time he had all of the players go way up into the uh, second level of the Saddledome seating area uh, after or before a practice, and he had his assistant coaches and a couple other people out on the ice making plays like the Oilers make them. He he had, like, Pierre Paget was an assistant coach, and he had him playing like he's Wayne Gretzky. Now, he, <laughs> he wasn't close to Wayne no, Gretzky, but no. you know, he, was, he was, had some showing some of the mannerisms of how he passed the puck and who he passed the puck to so that the players could get a bird's-eye view of that from watching from way up on top of that second level of the of the saddle dome. So, uh, yeah, that was another innovative thing. I remember that day, all the we media guys were there, and we were looking – has Bob really lost it, having those players all up there and these assistant coaches making like their Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky and Paul Coffey, et cetera. So, but that, he, that, was his, that was his plan, and it worked. He, he, he was just absolutely incredible, some of the things he'd come up with. Did he, dress, did he actually dress up goalies in Oiler jerseys so, to build his team's confidence? Uh, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That goalie that came in was wearing an Oiler oh, he, jersey. Oh, that goalie was wearing the Oiler jersey. Pardon me? He was wearing the oh, goal. No, uh, gee, I don't think so. I don't remember But he that did that, didn't he? He Did he bring in oil, goalies in oiler jerseys? Or is that an old wives' tale? What's that? What again, Rob? Sorry, did, did he dress up some goalies? Like, not his goalies, but other goalies and brought them in in oiler jerseys? Or is that just a, uh, an old legend? 
No, he had one guy that came in. He had he put an Oilers jersey on. Okay. Him. Yes, he did. He did do that. I forget okay. who the guy was. It might have been the same guy, the university guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he did do that as well to give the Flames confidence. They were all scoring all kinds of goals against them, so gave them confidence they could score against uh, Grant Fuhrer. So yeah, he did. And I don't know. Do that. I don't know why this particular one sticks out of my head, and, and I apologize because this is—it's kind of like a magic trick. We we have never met before, folks, so I'm throwing these out at Pete. But the famous <laughs> game in New Jersey, where it got snowed and delayed, and you had to yep. buy time, was one of your guests not Badger Bob's wife? Yes, it was. That was the famous snowball, uh, snowball snowstorm game, right? And and uh, I'm just trying to think here. It it, it might have been a it might have been uh, the anniversary of that game might be tonight because it was definitely in this time of year. Oh no, it would have been that it was earlier than this. But anyway, yeah, the uh, it was real interesting. Like we, the Flames went to the arena there in New Jersey uh, in the Meadowlands and had their morning skate. We went back to the hotel and uh, it was starting to snow. And I remember in my room, I was getting some notes prepared for the game, and I get a phone call from from Al Colts. Yeah, Al at that time was involved in the uh, with the uh, Flames and uh, media relations or management, I forget which. He later went on to be the general manager of the team. Anyway, he called, said we're leaving a little bit earlier today from our planned time to go to the rink because of the snowstorm, and want to make sure we get there. So. Uh, fine, we go down, and so we get there. And the time it took for the bus to take the team from the hotel to the arena was the normal time. Uh, they were sure. able to get somehow around the snow and all that type of thing and get in. So we're in there really early, and uh, none of the Jersey guys were there. And um, so time was going on and on. And the team up ultimately went out on the ice three times for warm-ups. And Bob, the whole time that this was going on, Bob was standing out in the hall and counting the. New Jersey players as they came in, because apparently the league rule was once you had 14 players, you had to start the game. And Bob was counting them all off. And at one point he had 14 players and he went to the referee's room and he said, they've got 14 players here. So let's get the game started. (laughs) Anyway, they they didn't start. Then they had to wait for the two best players were the last players to get there. They were caught up in the snowstorm and eventually did get there. And that's when, you know, they, then the game got started, but yeah, you're right. It was during the, uh, during the the time that uh, we were waiting to get the game, we were on the air. And of course we were a distance from where, you know, things were happening. We didn't know how many players came in and what was going on there. We just see flames going on the ice and going off the ice and on the ice and off. And anyway, Badger Bob, his wife was uh, with the team on that trip, as she did from time to time. And she would carry Bob Johnson's luggage into the hotels, too. That was another thing. The bus would arrive at a hotel. <laughs> Bob's wife would get out, grab his suitcase and hers, and take him, in, <laughs> take him into, the, uh, into the hotel. I don't think Wendy's anyway, doing that I'm, for Daryl. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, that would be interesting to see. But uh, anyway, so uh, so we get her. We're trying to fill time, obviously, and there weren't many people in the building. And uh, eventually we got, got, she came on on the air with us, and um, we're doing the interview. And and there was an announcement on the public address system. So we stopped because that's where we were getting information as to when the game might start. And so the PA announcer came up and said, uh, the game will be starting in a little while, but for all you fans that were able to make it in here, there were 486 fans there. Uh, please go up to such and such a uh, gate and go to the counter there. We have a special gift for you. And at that point, 
Uh, Bob's wife got up and she took it. She said, I got to go get one of those gifts. So away she goes and <laughs> leaves us high and dry. Doug Barkley and I, Doug the color commentator, high and dry in the middle of our interview that we had with her. And away she went. She had to make sure she got one of those gifts. And I understand she ended up getting five of them. <laughs> I love that. And she'd story. come on a lot of the road trips. I mean, yeah. she, he, he, he and Bob would sit right in the front, front seat of the of the, of the bus and the airplane and all that sort of thing. So uh, not all the trips, but she was on a lot of them. No question about that. So what? that was, and that was the only time I ever saw a coach's wife uh, go on a trip as as many times as she did. The odd time we won be one game or something, but she was there on a, on a lot of the flame trips over that five years in which he was uh, coach of the flames. Uh, I love that. I love that. Um, before I let you go, this is a uh, very special week. 35th anniversary of something that's uh, well, still a record today to this day, isn't it? Yep, still a record today. It was uh, on April the 3rd of uh, 1988, which was 35 years ago, which was April the 3rd. This year was on Monday. And that was the, uh, that was the day that uh, Hack and Lou, scored his 50th goal and doing it, of course, as a member of the Flames, doing it in the uh, in the Saddle Dome. And he became the first Swedish player to score 50, and nobody else from Sweden has scored 50 goals wow. since. So, uh, you know, of, of all the great Swedish players yep. who have played in the NHL, then nobody else has been able to reach that 50-goal standard in, in one season that uh, Hoken did in the 1987-88 year. He, um, he, he and Joe Neuendijk were the two flame players that had 50 goals that year. Joe, this game that he got his 50th in for uh, Hoken was his final, the final game of the uh, regular season. It was a Sunday afternoon game in the Saddle Dome against the Minnesota North Stars. And uh, it was a power play in the third period when Hoken scored, and uh, it, it, that gave the Flames a, a 4-1 victory. And that's when I yelled out another, well, not a, not a he saying that's become very uh, used very frequently by me, but when he scored his 50, I said, that's number 50 for Luby Dooby Doo. And so, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. That now time. that, okay, I have known <laughs> you for two decades. I did not know that. I thought you were about to tell me that this was part of the yeah baby string, but that wasn't. <laughs> no, no, it didn't get a yeah baby. He got a looby dooby doo. <laughs> wow. Okay. I love it. I learned something new here today. This is fantastic. He, Pete, just yep. a, a thought on, on Hawken because uh, what one of the things, and we got to know him a little bit, uh, he was a big listener to the the, the the games are is a big listener to the games online. He's a general manager over in Europe and Sweden, but we also saw him at the uh, Heritage Classic. Uh, the eighties the sometimes there was standoffish Europeans or what. Hawk and Lube was part of the fabric of this team, right? Like his his teammates loved him, didn't they? Oh yeah, he was adored by his teammates. He was a fun-loving guy and a very serious, uh, very serious uh, player. And uh, you know, he was just awesome that he came over here. And um, you know, he had that 50-goal season in '87, '88. Then had it was a big part of the team winning the Stanley Cup the next year in in uh, 1989. And uh, you know, what was interesting is that he decided then that he was not going to play anymore. That um, mm -hmm. that uh, and he was still young at that point. I think he was 29 or, or 30 years of age, and decided then that uh, he was going to retire as an NHL player, or stop playing in the NHL, go over and play hockey again in in Sweden because uh, he wanted to be. His kids were getting to a point where they were going to school, 
and um, he wanted to make them have them going to school in Sweden as opposed to going to school in uh, in Canada because of the fact that you know Sweden was Swedish was their uh, number one language. And I remember he came back here um, back for the Flames uh, Stanley Cup reunion that they had uh, about ten years ago now I guess it was. Yep. And uh, I was talking to him then, and he said, you know, he said I made a mistake by leaving here too soon. They said, I should have stayed a few more years, had the kids go to school here for a few more years before I uh, left the NHL or left the Flames. So uh, if he'd have stayed, there might have been another Stanley Cup. But he was greatly, greatly adored by his teammates. Uh, Jim Poplinski, and uh, we joke with him all the time, and Lanny McDonald and, and all that gang. And uh, he just fit right in with them. And a very, uh, when it came time to play hockey, very, very serious player as displayed by all the goals that he scored, particularly in that 87-88 campaign. Actually, I lied to you. I got one more for you, Pete. And that was this past Sunday, uh, Cammy Kepke kind of wrapped up the last of the global sports cast as part of their news package. And I'm, I'm kind of past the, the yelling and screaming that we know the world's changing and all those sort of things. But can you just speak to the legacy of 2-7 and seven and and sports at 11 and, I mean, Eddie Whalen and Grant Pollock and Mike Lonsborough and Mike Toth and Joe Sports and Brendan Parr. I mean, it, it was really part of the fabric for, for almost 40, 50 years here in this city, right? Yes, no question. And all those guys you mentioned were very, very solid sportscasters, but they also were very good at entertaining mm-hmm. uh, when they were on the air. That sports at 11 that uh, that uh, Grant Pollock and uh, Mark uh, – Mike Lounsbrow and uh, uh, Ed, Ed Whalen was not a part of that too much because he was on earlier in yeah. the uh, earlier in the evening. But uh, those guys would, you know, uh, they would put on quite a show. There's no question about it. I mean, and they would cover not only, you know, their primary would be covering the Flames, of course, and the Stampeders and the, and the professional teams, but they also got to the grassroots level as well. You know, they'd be in there talking about the university teams or the the, uh, the Midget League, the AAA, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the Bantam League and that sort of thing, and have guests on there that, that the uh, the sports at 11 i mean that show ran for an hour i think and uh, they, they'd have all kinds of gets there they had their camera out on the ice or out on the field or yeah. out where they these teams were and would have uh, uh little clips of what they were doing there and they'd have interviews and i mean it was very very entertaining and very very much a sports uh feeling at that particular point in time and then of course that got reduced i think that went on for about 11 years and then that show ended and they started you know they were on it was getting shorter and shorter at the time they had for sports on on uh, that station and other uh stations here in in calgary and then of course when uh sports tv came in mm-hmm. with tsn first and then sportnet it the you know the the uh, sports casts on the local stations like Global and CTV and, and that type of thing, they got to be, you know, reduced, reduced, and to a point now, as you mentioned, yeah. Global now not having that uh, sports on there. So I think it's very, very sad for the uh, the business and also, you know, for the fans that they don't get an inside look uh, at that. But, you know, this is uh, this was the plan that, uh, that's that been being made by superiors, and it's unfortunate, and uh, I hopefully not too many people uh, in the future are going to be affected by that, but there's definitely a, definitely a change yeah. in uh, the scope of broadcasting sports um, in, uh, you know, in this city and probably all the cities in Canada for that matter. Well, this was uh, amazing. Uh, first of all, because of the looby dooby doo that I won't <laughs> lie to you. And I would suspect, I know you're not a big social media guy, but that's going to probably run hard on social media for the next couple of days. <laughs> I would suggest that will, that'll be a clip that you're going to hear quite a bit. <clears throat> 
I had somebody mention that the other day to me. It was a couple of weeks ago. I was somewhere and somebody said, do you remember the time you said looby-dooby-doo on the air? <laughs> and I had kind of forgotten about it. Until, I, honest until to God, I didn't know the story till today. I thought, I thought you were going to bust out a yeah, baby. That's what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, yeah, baby started two years before that in 1986. That the first time I yelled that was after Game Seven in Edmonton, right? When the Flames uh, beat the Oilers in that uh, playoff series, and that became then that became something that the fans wanted to hear more and more often. And I used to have to tell them sometimes, "I'm only doing it for important events." Exactly, <laughs> so. exactly. And I was there for the lone triple yeah, baby. Yeah, I was yep, there for right. the lone triple yeah, baby. Which to yeah. this day remains the greatest single call in the history of broadcasting. Don't at me. Don't argue with me. I just informed you of that fact. Um, <laughs> good, good to talk. Well, I don't know about that, but anyhow. Well, I'll take I, it. I didn't ask Thank you, you, did I? I didn't ask you, Pete. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, we'll catch up in a couple weeks. Um, who knows what happens tonight in Winnipeg? We'll watch with great interest. But uh, you'll stick around for the playoff run, regardless of who's in it, right? We'll, we can talk hockey with you for the spring. Yep, we're definitely able to do that, Rob. So look forward to the next one. All right, buddy. You're the best. I'm from the care, man. All right, buddy. There you go. Doesn't get any better than Bonesaw, uh, the legendary Peter Marr. And, and if you're keeping track at home, that's seven Hall of Fames. Uh, his brother, six Hall of Fames, but seven for Pete. Uh, of course, guest brought to you by Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Not just skis and snowboards. Get in there, get warm and dry. Great deals on right now. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, speaking of friends, we're going to welcome a couple more in. Uh, today's reading assignment, and I hate, uh, if you're not getting the athletic, you should. Um, I was going to do something a little more pertinent, and then I read this. Uh, Fluto Shinzawa from The Athletic covers the Boston Bruins, and I've had Fluto on the old show quite a bit. Great, really good writer. He wrote a column. It's um, Bruins goalie Linus Allmark's ascent to the NHL elite, how one technique tweak changed everything. And I'm pretty sure that my next two guests can appreciate this. But if you read the article, two inches. Two inches is what we're talking about here. Two inches in his game. He goes from 38th or whatever in the league in save percentage to maybe the Vesna Trophy winner this year. Fascinating. I love that kind of writing uh, that gets into the weeds, so that's why another athletic column. Uh, just a reminder, we are on tomorrow, not Friday. Uh, we are taking Friday off. We're back on Monday. And speaking of friends of the program, how about this next Wednesday? Uh, Billy Jaffe from Nesson. A uh, good friend of the program. As well, Marco Carducci from the Cavalry. Your Cavalry will be here. Um, and a reminder, we are broadcasting from Treaty 7 territory, and this is an inclusive program. Everybody's welcome. We welcome everybody, and we welcome our next two guests, brought to you by Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. In no particular order, because I do not play favorites, um, it's a pleasure to welcome both of my friends here, formerly of Kids Sports uh, first phase podcast and we'll find out if that's over or just you know been on hiatus uh would you please welcome uh chasing her skeleton dream that's where you go face first remember that the luge it's a big deal but face first uh grace Dafoe is kind enough to join us and uh uh 
retired. We th- no, no, that's that's Alicia. I should have given you guys. There you go. There's Grace. Now there's Grace. All right. So that's Grace. And you, you really do need somebody to tell them apart. Um, and Alicia Rissling, uh, who is well, multi-sport basketball, uh, but retired from bobsleigh uh, as well. Alicia Rissling joins us. Uh, ladies, it's kind to see you. Thanks for doing this. Grace, I'll start with you. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. It's good to be in a room with you two again. It brings me back to the <laughs> face first recording days. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a little while, but it's uh, I I, I kind of like this setup a little bit better than the kids' sport front office, even though both uh, it has less of a hockey smell in here. Uh, today, okay, <laughs> today, and actually, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, distance a little bit because the barn burner guys have been out of here for about an hour. Oh, it settles. Okay. It's in the carpet. <laughs> it's definitely in the carpet. And if we open the windows, that would help too. Um, lots to talk about with you guys. But first of all, hiatus? Canceled? Gone away? Where are we at with the, the Face First podcast, which was one of my favorite podcasts because I produced it? <laughs> I don't know. Did we just evolve away from it? I think... It kind of stopped, you know, in 2021. It was the start of that season. You were competing and you're going into the Beijing Olympic year. And I think we tried to record and Alicia and I just were like, this is too much. It's hard when you're on different continents to coordinate. And And time zones and all of those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. plays a factor into it. So we, we just took a little bit of a break and then it turned into an extended break and life just got back in the way and... Not to say that we couldn't fire it back up again, though. It's not dead. I, I think it's. it's I don't think it should be dead because, and we'll get into why it's important. But to me, it was really important to have uh, female voices in sport, uh, but also educated female voices in sport. Not to say there's a bunch of uneducated women doing podcasts. That's not what I'm trying to allude to. But when the topics that you broached were were topics that you guys had expertise in or had a vested interest in and, and were necessary. And, and part of this conversation today is going to be, you know, how far have we come in the last couple of years? Because you guys pulled no punches. Like, you know, you went hard after us, the traditional media. 
and, and our coverage of women's sports. And, and I think even the, you know, and the other part we can get into too is the, the current lack of leadership across the board in, in this country when it comes to NSOs. So there's no shortage of topics, but let's do this. Alicia, first, you're retired. I am retired. Officially. Retired, retired? Recently, officially retired. Recently, official. We can't, you're not yes. waiting for a kid to grow up so you can do two man with a daughter or a son or something like that, you know. <laughs> no but you're not like LeBron waiting for Bronny to, to graduate so you can play one season with your kid. There's no kids anywhere near right okay. now. So, uh, I mean, I think people have been seeing me in the gym and asking me if I'm a king and comeback, but yeah. uh, that is not the case. Okay. I've just switched sports. That's all. That's all I do is switch sports. What did you switch to? Well, I most recently got into CrossFit. And that makes me officially a CrossFitter now because I said, "Oh, it good out loud. lord!" Well, we next we know what the next forty five <laughs> minutes is all about. <laughs> hey, vegans or CrossFitters? You know who do you want to run into? Anyway, um, having said that, the day job is kind of cool because uh, you find yourself in a professional white collar business job in sports. Yeah, which is, I mean, it was a, a very natural transition for me, and and uh, I'm very very happy to be in the role I am. Um, we can bring up the fact that. I'm a woman in a very male-dominated industry, which, honestly, the way my whole life has gone, I wouldn't have it in any other way, But um, uh, especially coming from bobsled. But, yeah, I'm the director of partnerships with the Canadian Hockey League. Um, I'm the Western representative, so my, my I oversee the, the WHL is my, my baby. And yep. uh, the, really awesome that I get to, you know, sell traditional marketing assets such as, you know, rink boards mm-hmm. and, and game nights and stuff like that. But also the really cool thing is I get to create community programs because mm-hmm. that's something that the WHL does really well. And um, one I'm working on right now is a woman in sport program. So Perfect. go figure, I get to bring that influence in and um, being the only woman on my team is yep. has, has been, I think, very beneficial. And what I really appreciate is my team takes me very seriously and, and um takes my my advice and and my my influence to heart so it's been it's been a tough start just thanks to the atmosphere of junior hockey in in this country right now um thank you hockey canada for a scandal that broke a month after i started um but uh not to say that we can be part of the solution and changing for the better grace i have not forgot about you i am coming to you but you opened a door for me and i'm coming back <laughs> over here yeah. Somebody hears this and goes, well, yeah, but the Western Hockey League, it's all boys. What is, why is it important to have a, a female recognition program, which is going to really open the door into a much larger conversation as well. But why is it important to do this? Because, and in, in, so the Western Hockey League, I mean, we're really lucky in Calgary. We have how many, we have three professional hockey teams playing out of here and, and the big cities. But if we're talking about the cities. Red Deer, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Swift Current. Like, this is the number one ticket in town. And this is this is their pros. This is what they get mm-hmm. to see. And this is the influence that they have. So mom and dad can afford to bring, you know, um, their their sons and daughters hockey teams to the rink and, and show them an experience of what it's like to have the professional game. So if we can supplement that by uh, whether it be having women involved with the team, whether mm-hmm. it be behind the bench, whether it be in the training room, whether it be... Um, most recently the WHL drafted the first ever female. So I yep. think we're a couple of years away from, from maybe starting to see some females break into the league and, and breaking down some barriers there. Um, but also create programs where we can have, uh, women's hockey teams go and get to train with the WHL team for the day. 
whether the coaching staff gets to learn from their stuff. if a local stuff. junior team ever did that before. <laughs> hmm. Oh, Rob, I'm not copying you at all. Don't worry. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> no, but I mean, that that to me, it's the whole idea of representation. It matters. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, and these are the programs that we got to create and we got to make sure that they, they're implemented and, and just offering those opportunities for, for young girls in sports to be yep. able to witness, be like, Give them the taste of being a junior hockey player for the day because it, we're not far away from getting a women's league. And a little birdie told me that it might be sooner than we think as well. Did that birdie happen to tell you where the nest would be? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but... Uh, you are! Yeah. They texted me earlier and said, Alicia's allowed to say. <laughs> I don't know if it's been like the... the is it the possible that there might be another team coming to this city? There is. It is. It's highly, highly likely. Soon. That won't be a social media clip. <laughs> Grace, you are chasing the dream, or are you? I mean, well, first of all, the pending nuptials will, or we should acknowledge that, right? Yeah, and Alicia's getting married this year, what? too. Yeah, both of to us. This, no, yeah, yep. but <laughs> same guy you were brought to Target's? Yes, oh, same wow. guy. Who knew? Who knew? Um, <clears throat> <laughs> but I've seen your pictures. I've, I've seen the pictures. So that's obviously a mo- monumental event. Yeah, I mean, we've been together for just about a decade. So I'd say 10 years. In okay, the good. Yeah, off. well, yeah. good. He finally, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. I'm comfortable now. Nine years in, I'm very comfortable. I think I could ask. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, let's talk about the skeleton, though. Um and I appreciate and I applaud you. If, if Most people in Calgary know you're very active on social. But you've also been in the same way we had Kelsey Snow on um, uh, a couple weeks ago. And the reason we had Kelsey Snow on was she's chosen to live their life publicly for the benefit of us, for everybody else to know what it's like to, to have a husband with ALS, okay? That's not an easy decision to make. You have chosen to live your life as you chase your Olympic dream publicly, how difficult the choice is it to share the things that you share? Because where are you? Where are you right now? Are you on the national team? Uh, yeah. I mean, first off, I have to shout out Kelsey because that was such a good episode. Yeah. Um, oh, it, it's yeah. it's incredible, it and I it was awesome to listen to. Yeah, I guess it always just came naturally. Like I felt like when I was starting my athlete career, Instagram was just taking off, and I was just like sharing stuff and it started with probably a hundred people and somehow it's you know turned into just over 2000 which is still relatively small but um in terms of like athletes and big hitters and you know you see lots of pro athletes with more than millions and thousands of followers but for me it's like those 2000 people actually you know when I posted that I got engaged I think a thousand of them it felt like liked and commented and right. was so excited and um to me it's not about the number it's about the engagement rate and stuff you get on your social media anyways um to me, it always felt like, oh, I've shared such good moments. And, you know, I finally made the national team in 2019. And I was so excited after mm-hmm. six or seven years of kind of being in limbo in that way and not, and representing Canada, but not on the nas- not in the national program and just doing that as, as my side hobby. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a bit of a crazy year. Um, definitely, I think, to me right now, where uh, from my understanding, and you say, where are you, is um, I'm racing for Team Canada. I'm a member of Bob Canada Skeleton. I'm just not a targeted athlete. So I'm what we call like a BCS non-targeted athlete. Um, so that means that I'm funding everything pretty much myself or, you know, with fundraisers and, and other personal sponsors. But it doesn't mean that my dream is over. And it doesn't no. mean next year is next year and the year after. So um, 
we're not calling time quite yet. Uh, I just got back to my off-season training yesterday and, um, you know, I, I've had some really good conversations the last few months in soul searching. And at the end of the day, uh, a really good mentor of mine just told me, wake up and make the choice every day. And your choices will kind of show you where your morals are lying. Um, and, you know, I look at Serena Williams and stuff and how she said she's evolving away from tennis. And mm-hmm. to me, I'm not quite ready to like retire. Um, I still think I have some stuff left. Um, but I also am very lucky to have a career outside of outside of sport and stuff. So whenever the time is called on my sport career, I have lots of awesome kind of things ready to go. Having said that, all due respect to Serena, Serena doesn't have to wake up three weeks out from, you know, training or a meet in South Korea and figure out how to get there. And you had to do that this year. Eight huh? days, actually. Yeah, I was going to say it was a lot I'm less sorry. than three weeks. Sorry. Okay. I was at, the, I, we were at the Kid Sport Christmas event. That's uh, right. And I was like, yeah, I might go to Korea. Um, it was on a Thursday and it was like next Sunday. Yeah. And everyone there was like, excuse me. And I was like, yeah, I don't have anything booked yet, but I think I'm going to go. It's and always I had better no money stuff, yeah. either to, to fund it, but um, we made it happen. <laughs> Which, right. All due respect to Serena. Um, yeah. But that has to take a toll. That has to take a toll. Yeah. Um, this this season did take a toll, and I think I in January I took a little bit of time, just mm-hmm. a way to be me and be human, because it had taken a big toll. Just the mental, you know, getting on planes, not knowing where I was going, driving home from Whistler and getting on a plane to Park City the next day and landing in Park City and having no accommodation. And, you know, just like the list, it was just wild. And in January, I just went home and I was like, I just need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, I got criticized a bit, I think, from from some people being like, you should be out training and stuff. And I was like, no, like, mentally, I need a break. Um, but then I went back to Whistler in February, and I was like, man, this sport's so fun. Like, renewed. Sure. So I think, like, yeah, I, it definitely took a toll. Um, and But I've, I've reflected on that and kind of decompressed about it. And um, I learned a lot. I think that part got missed when I was, like, sharing all these messages out of, I felt a little negative. Um, and I don't love that for me. <laughs> so I, I'm a little bit more on the positive eye now of what I learned this year. See, I, again, I go back to the, you know, kind of that living, your, choosing to live your life out there in public. And I think it was really important. And it's not the first time we, we can get into this, that the Olympic athlete has done that and, and, or the Olympic hopeful has done that. Because again, I, I mean, I, you know, I go back 20 years on this and, and I don't have to lecture you guys about the funding that athletes get and, and the self-funding that you have to do. Would you have gone through this same turmoil this year if you were a targeted athlete? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I would say that things have been challenging for them in different, different reasons also. Um, so I think I would have gone through similar things, but there was the added, um, layer of, because I was kind of the last on the list to fill, you know, they're, they're, they were in such just like struggling day to day to get things done. Um, they were really focused on those targeted athletes and, you know, I mm-hmm. wasn't named to a team and it took them till January to actually clarify what my team status was because I asked if I was insured to slide. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah. And, and I had to ask those questions. I was like, listen, I don't care what the answer is. I just need to know if I need to go get my own insurance or yeah. if I'm insured to slide. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's, everyone's had their struggles. It hasn't been an easy year for any, um, sliding athlete so uh we we definitely but it just depends i'm just yeah. trying to provide context to <laughs> somebody who might be following you and and because they do, you know they you did they do see that right like well if you're part of team can well that's why i asked the question i asked 
we all know in this room there's being with Team Canada and then there's being with Team Canada, right? Or being part of Team Canada and the funding models, Well, right? especially if we're talking about Bobsleigh Canada. So our Bobsleigh Canada skeleton, as it's called, BCS. We'll reference it from here now. And yeah. obviously we went through um, a huge that public was battle stunning. last summer. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's been, it's been a year. It's been a year. Since we called, yeah. since that action in a year yeah and it's for, still ongoing for those who don't know and i'll i'll try to lay it out you guys can fill in the gaps but you know all of a sudden hockey canada and and some questions were being raised about nso's national sporting bodies and your sporting body yep. had somebody running it but also chairing the board which technically they weren't supposed to do and then when athletes started asking questions fair questions that person decided to take their ball and go home. Therefore, no, nothing could be done. I mean, it was a stunt to try and uh, put off a vote, was it not? You're, so, yeah, you're you're on the right path with okay. that. So um, we had a, a president who, who was an elected president, if we want to get into the details of how she was elected in 2014. That's a whole other episode by itself, um, showing up with... 191 proxies to a meeting that had 60 people at it. So, uh, didn't matter how many. People so you're were telling you're voting. telling if I can find 190 people, I can wander around and lead something. You can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a world. Uh, um, ran un, un like unopposed in 2014 because we didn't have anybody who was willing to kind of go up against her, and right. then. Um, we had 92 athletes or 93 athletes sign a, a letter, um, asking for the official resignation of our president of the board, um, as well as to, uh, a, a staff member, our high performance director. Um, and, uh, they refused. So as a, and as a person who is an elected official who represents the athletes, um, and you have a whole slew of athletes 93 people is is what i'd say a majority I would of say, the athletes yeah, who have yeah. competed in the last decade um uh, lose their faith in you and and they refused to, to step down um and uh, why what were they clinging to exactly we uh, rob if we ever could figure oh, that answer out. i i i would love oh, you to don't sit know. down and get the answer we would, one day uh, we would all love that answer we yeah. would all love oh i was just being facetious answer. i thought it was no exactly <laughs> we have no idea why no idea why and this um president had been acting as the ceo um because we couldn't afford to pay a ceo because the program is in so much debt yeah um which they inherited the debt yeah. in, in their yeah. defense like it wasn't um like it's it's it was a residual problem that from a funding model that was ongoing from from the 2010 Olympics that was extensive and then when that 2010 Olympics kind of pool ran dry and they still were operating as if that money was still coming in and they dug a huge hole so when this gotcha. leadership came in they they didn't inherit something um, that was easier to fulfill and and the sliding sports are extremely expensive I mean skeleton gets the short end of the stick all the time there's less of them. And it costs less to run a skeleton program. Uh, track time is still the same for everybody, but they can at least travel. But they're, I mean, it's a gong show for them to travel, but their sleds can go with them on the, on mm-hmm. the hill. Bob sleds, it's cost us $5,000 to send one sled one way to Europe, and we got to go there and back multiple times um, and put them on trucks in between all the North Americas and they get driven. So, like, it's, we know it's, it's, it's a stupid, expensive sport, and yeah. it, it's just been an ongoing process of, of mismanagement, misprioritizing, miscommunication on over and over and over again, which 
the athletes felt that that was actually what was costing the program an immense amount of money. It's like, well, if from a lack of ability to, of leadership to be able to make decisions of what, what tour, how hard is it at the beginning of the year to be like, as Grace described, like, well, I'm going to Korea in eight days because I don't know what's happening. And it's like, well, if we had these things planned out in the right. summertime and it's like you're sending X amount of athletes to, to this event, this event, to this event, at least they could pre-plan and you're not buying a last-minute ticket that's going to cost you $2,000 for a ticket that could have been $800 if you booked it three months in advance or five months in advance, um, which is kind of an ongoing thing. So, um, yeah, to your point, just to wrap this up because otherwise I'll go all day, but uh, <laughs> then we had an AGM an AGM happened and uh, the athletes came prepared to, as there's their right to, to vote a new president in. And uh, the president, after five hour standoff, refused to call an election um, and then walked out on it, rescheduled an, uh, the section part of the election in which she, she, after an hour and a half into that meeting, it was in Whistler, by the way. So they moved it from Calgary to Whistler. So, Try to get the, away from the athletes? Well, to the so the athletes were there. The oh, athletes okay. were there. So, okay. so they went to the athletes, but to the majority of like the federation of the members of the federation were are all in Calgary or, or Alberta in general or or Ontario. But um so a lot of the alumni, um, I consider myself an alumni at this point, were had to be there to support the athletes who had to race were you weren't you guys? We in started North, North America's Cup training or first international race of the year um on the development team side the next day. The next day. After a tumultuous and there was nothing more comforting, I think, than seeing uh Riz got out of the truck and just to see some friendly faces. I know as a current athlete we were like we were stuck in that and kind of like yeah. isolated from our family, from our friends and going through this, um and not knowing teams weren't named yet kind of stuff for us on the skeleton side and seeing Riz get out of the truck uh, and a few of the alumni, it felt, at least personally, I was like, oh, they're here to support us. Um, and it was it was so great. We were here. We were there to be the voice because we felt it just wasn't fair to the current athletes that, you know, are going through a selection mm-hmm. at that moment. And, you know, a lot of these things are, they're never black and white. There's always a gray area. And a lot of it is coach's decision based on, and how they justify it is based on, you know, algorithms of their potential, not necessarily how they did in the race either. So it just like for them, if they want to ask questions and, and say things maybe that could have a negative connotation of, of them making a team. So it just didn't seem fair to them. So um, yeah, at that point we were able to elect a new president and um, that was in the end of November, mid November, I think. And then, it hasn't been with you know it was like almost like okay now the real work starts and it's been a a long even process to get to where we are today and there's been a couple steps forward um but they they we've had to fight for every step how in in your particular situation with this issue how responsible are the athletes for allowing it to happen um or was the, and I hate to say the system was set up for it, but my understanding is that a lot of power was taken away from the athlete and, and given to the coach or given to the, you know, to the officials and things like that. I mean, yeah. And so for me on the skeleton side, I can't speak to the bobsleigh side, but we saw athletes that were trying to make change in this past regime that were cut. So as a current athlete, you know, this time last year, we're calling for action and I was planning to continue. I was like, I can't, I can't talk. And I didn't say anything on social media all last summer because I was scared of the repercussions. So it's tough to say like, 
as athletes, yes, we did. But I think like the final breaking point was some of these more senior athletes willing to put their names out there. were like, we're going to do this. And I remember receiving that email being like, tomorrow it's going public and just vibrating with energy thinking this is actually going to happen. Um, and obviously it's taken a long road to, to take steps from there, but, um, it's, it, we are responsible, but we can also only do so much. And when you're in a, when you're like under a regime or a system that or the bylaws get changed. Yeah, and, and they're the like board changes the bylaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm. What but that's what I'm talking is. about. And, yeah. and yeah. I think if if we draw back and look at the thirty thousand foot view, yeah. I've never seen this country in a turmoil like it is right now. Neither have I. It's a, it's a really good like between so many sports across the board. It's right. just like what is happening. And like fencing just came out last well, that, last week with another one, and <sighs> like right? and it kind of felt like we were some of the. First, and yeah. then Hockey Canada really accelerated it and stuff like that. But Hockey Canada wasn't a player-driven or a... It was a uh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That was more yeah. of a legal issue that they got caught in the weeds with. Yeah. But then it's this whole idea of health and safety, right? And, and, and accountability. And, and accountability. Accountability. Right? Yeah. And what bothers me, and I made this note on social a little while ago, if you go to uh, the, the governing body for the NSOs and you go to their education department, the first thing there for NSOs to learn about is governance. Mm-hmm. The second thing is athlete safety. Mm-hmm. That's how messed up this whole thing is. Yeah. That let's take it, you know, and again, oh, something bad's happening. Call the lawyer. Yeah. Right. Well, not, not ask, the, are you okay? Do you need a bandaid? Call the lawyer. Yeah. Well, and that, that's been, that's really what it's really come down to. And it's like the amount, when you look at it, <laughs> the Bobsleigh Canada skeleton budget and they're spending almost half a million dollar on legal fees a year. That's like that's like double what the skeleton program got the one year we were sitting was. there and there we were like you it spent was. more on legal fees than you did on your entire skeleton an entire program. program. Is that an active case or is that just cons- consultations? Multiple. It's active cases. It's active because cases. It's okay. like everything they did that the lack of transparency. Yeah. Just and like there was nonstop legal and and it was almost encouraged for athletes. It's like well you don't like the results of what happened in that selection or that race or whatever. Well, take it, take it up or get the lawyers out. And because the athletes are entitled to representation, but then the, the federation has to pay for their legal fees. And it's like, so <laughs> every time an athlete, so it's like every time from the athletes. So it's like every time we take them to, and most often it ends up in mediation, but there's, there's sport governance and then, um, appeals and it always gets in the, those funding. So, it, but the thing I thought that was really interesting that you said was the governing body of the NSOs. And the thing that I learned through all of this is there is no governing body of the NSOs. All the powers that be in in the national sport system in Canada run parallel to each other. There's no hierarchy. So, Sport Canada isn't at the no. top. Oh, no, they're gotcha. parallel. The NSOs are parallel to Sport Canada. To own the podium, which is where a lot of the funding coming right. from the Canadian Olympic Committee, they're parallel. No one has jurisdiction. Even the governor, even the governor of sport is parallel. There's no hierarchy. So there's only so much when the athletes were pleading for help from Sport Canada, from Own the Podium, from Minister uh, Pascal Sandorange. Like, yeah. They couldn't do anything because the the power actually lies within the governments of that NSO, different than what we learned from Steve Mesler. You got your yep. custom chest behind. So yep. in in the U.S., it's USO. The Olympic Committee right. oh, oh, trumps everything. They get the power. They're the they're the head, 
and the NSOs filter underneath, and then the, the state organizations, and it's a, it's a hierarchy. I had no idea. Yeah, we have no, no I, and that was what the big learning thing was. And the reason I say I have no idea was when, we, as we're kind of going through the same time, this whole Canada uh, women's national team and the men's national team on the soccer side, right? Um, oh. it kept coming up that, well, what, where's Sport Canada in all of this? Mm-hmm. And it was, let, you were led to believe that they're, well, they're just, you know, they're, they're a figurehead. They're, they're not prepared to exercise. But you're telling me that they're actually parallel to, to Soccer Canada. They're parallel to Soccer Canada. So what they could do if they really wanted to is they could withhold their funding to Soccer Canada. Yeah. But then who struggles? Who loses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it all comes down to, like, hurting the athletes at the right. end of the day. So yeah. w- what do we make of the Heritage Committee then? Are you, I mean, it seems like every week the Heritage Committee's calling somebody out. Yeah. Calling somebody out. Is this a toothless tiger? I don't know. It's I've been watching some of the Heritage Committee and trying to follow along with it. But I wonder, so like I'm so entrenched in sport and I just wonder what like people who aren't entrenched in sport are thinking that we're spending all this money on our elected officials Mm -hmm. in government, spending time on trying to fight these NSOs. And it just I don't know if it's working. Um, Yeah, Alicia, I'd be really curious what you think, because maybe you're a bit from the, you know, <laughs> for, business I, and sports side now. Yeah, now that, now that I kind of <laughs> see it from both sides, and, and um, Bobsleigh Canada did create this this high-performance committee that I, I ended up being the athlete rep on, and I only got invited into the last meeting, and I, I so I kind of was given a, a summary of what they've been working on throughout the year, and I can, I can honestly say that um, there has been progress. Like, the, mm-hmm. there's been, like I said, like, maybe two steps forward. Yeah. Um, and but the we're never close where it needs to right. be, not even close yet. But the, at least there's now the acknowledgement that this checks there has there's not there's no checks, checks and balances, balances. No. and that and that that was very clearly dictated to me actually by Sport Canada and by Own the Podium. It's like we we realize right now that there's not this this accountability. It's like it doesn't filter. There's not enough input from athlete voices because you know they get these huge crazy reports every year, and it's report season right now. So mm-hmm. at the end of the winter season, most of the winter sports ending around this time. Yep. Um, and they're going through it all, and and you know on paper it looks like things are going great, and then and then all of a sudden you have all these outraged athletes kind of banning forces and coming out, which I think last year at this time is when a lot, what it was rugby at the same time as gymnastics as, as us yep. as, and, and, and then that was just the wake up call. It's like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. So there's the, 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 the paperwork is not lining up to what has been described. So what is happening? And I think that was a huge wake up call. So, um, there's been subcommittees formed, there's been acknowledgement and it's, the problem. Nobody has a solution yet. We're going to, it's going to be throwing some things at the wall until something sticks. To your point about how do Canadians or non, you know, people without ties to these sports, this kind of goes back to, and you both were here when I asked Pete about, you know, kind of the signing off of Global's sportscast. And and I know this was part of the conversation of your podcast all the time was, is the role of the media. And none of this happens without Rick Westhead. Because Rick Westhead's been the shit disturber. Pardon my French, Ty. I owe you some money. Uh, Ty won't let me swear on the podcast, so um, and that's fair. Gotta beep it, BG. Yeah, over yeah, here. I should have. But um, to me, if it's not 
you know, and, and that one fascinates me because he's a Bell employee, so he, he works for TSN, and he's yep. the guy that cut the knees out of Hockey Canada. Yep. How do you think? To. How do you think yep. TSN feels about that? Yeah. Right. Yet they allow him to do it, which is perfect. But it seems to me because we've come to these platforms and we've broken up our our media consumption that we just don't have the national voices to call attention or to make this important that everybody hears a Peter Mansbridge or even, you know, not the right guy, but a Don Cherry. There's nobody with those pulpits anymore right. that everybody hears. So I, I, I know exactly what you're, you're saying, Grace. It's like, oh, well, I, I don't watch skeletons. So why do I care? I don't fence. Why do I care what happened? You know, yeah. ha- maybe some of the people even thought they're the people that built the fences, not the actual <laughs> fencers. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's but I think it's given cover to these groups yeah. because they know there's nobody out there to hold them accountable especially if they're changing uh you know the, the bylaws as they go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in request had to his credit has done um some incredible investigative journalism 100% he has. Absolutely. Like the thing But how is he but but how is he viewed within the sports community? Cuz I know how he's viewed within the hockey community. People hate him. Oh, yeah, because oh, it's Rick. Don't answer his phone. Or don't answer your phone. It's Rick West said. Oh, this is only bad news. He's the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, because I've been following him, and I. No, I'm talking about yeah. within. Yeah, within hockey. Within yes. the 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 hallways and within the ge- okay. board, general general managers and and leagues and things like that. They don't want a Rick West head phone call. No. Okay. Well, and and actually, that's really interesting because it's. I'm not going to name drop because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But there there are some athletes that really felt that there were some journalists out there that were out to catch us in a lie out to 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 try and tell the the bobs like canada skeleton story and uh like almost flip the narrative it's like well it's just a bunch of disgruntled athletes is kind of the narrative that the other side was trying because to it's been used effectively before right so it was it's right so from a journalist standpoint i mean we wouldn't Bob's like Hannah Skeleton, we wouldn't have been able to make the noise that we did without the help of some, uh, Rick Westhead was actually one of them that I think mm-hmm. he, he uncovered some of it. And, um, Lori's, I can't remember her last name. This is terrible. Uh, Lori Ewing. Yes. Ewing. Lori yeah. Ewing. Yeah. 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 She, she yeah. was uh, a champion to help really bring some of the stories to life because, you know, like we, we bring forward a bunch of categorized complaints of, uh, you know, we, we categorize them as um, governance, transparency, uh, safety, and what was the last one for? This is under a year ago. Uh, yeah, I should have had my notes up. I have the letter, but <laughs> um, but it's like, so everyone's just listening. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And then you, you can't, and you can't tell those stories. There was just too many of them to kind of go through and like yeah. list them in one article. So between Lori and Rick be, being able to like help athletes tell their stories publicly. And it actually kind of was like able to connect back to what this letter really meant now. And then there was other journalists that people were like, literally like, don't pick up the phone when he calls mm-hmm. because it, you know that he's, he's going to twist your words and, and mm-hmm. people were really nervous about that as well. Yeah. yeah and, and I, I get it. We've, we've made this bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I point South of the border. I think, you know, po- the political world down there forever changed. When Once you introduced alternate facts, I think everybody's world's changed, right? And yeah. what do you want to believe? What do you want to hear? What do I want to tell you? And now you're either on my side or you're not. Somebody, oh, it was Vicky Hall this week, put out a great uh, quote about journalism. If if journalism doesn't make you, if, if journalism doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, then it's PR, right? 
you know, if you're, if you're not uncomfortable by being asked the questions, then it's just PR. Yeah. And, and this, you know, all, this whole world is so fractured now. It's just getting those voices out and getting those stories heard. And, you know, we, that was part of your ethos, your podcast, was telling the stories about particularly female athletes, female coaches and everything. Um, and it seems to me that we're further ahead in some regards, but we're not as far ahead as we'd like to have been if we go back to the genesis of the podcast in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think it seems like, uh, I think I tweeted yesterday back at Joe McFarland that it seems like I thought that we were, you know, moving forward with closing the gap in some of this media, especially with local media um, as athletes and you know, sports teams. And it seems like it's actually widening and, and there's opportunity. Um, I think our podcast was so unique because we got to tell so many people's stories that don't regularly get heard Her- in correct. the media. And correct. to me as like, Someone who hasn't done a ton of media, it was like, oh, well, when I watch the news, I feel like they always call on the same people. And it's because mm-hmm. they're good and they have relationships with them and stuff. But it, there was, there's sometimes not an opportunity for someone to jump in and, and get on, you know, global news or something like that um, because you're not on their list of contacts. And so that's what I really loved. I think back to, I can't remember who it was, but it was this, the guy that runs the soccer program. In, it's funny. I was thinking about that one. Right okay. Now, yeah. In the Northeast and talking yeah. about. Oh, um, free footy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or was it? Yeah, it was that one. Yeah. And uh, that was one of my favorite. We had such a good conversation with him. um, And just like, I was like, I never knew that guy existed. And I probably live 15 minutes from him and what he's doing in our community. Right. Um, And I just feel like Calgary is such, we just have so many hidden gems and leaders. And I know you've talked about it in one of the past episodes. Yeah. Amazing sport community across the board, not just like women's sport, men's sport, but like new Canadians there's hockey, like all those yeah. stories are the ones that people don't even realize that this awesomeness is going on. But if you've time. listened to the, you know, the next words that are going to come out of my voice, but do we have a hero? It seems to me that we're missing, and maybe this, this is a 30,000 foot question. It's a, it's a <laughs> thousand foot question, but I look at this city right now and yeah, the Commonwealth bid, cool. And the, uh, the Canadian Special Olympics Winter Games, cool. But we're still dinking around about a facility. Like it's, it's beyond me. And I, I just don't see the Frank King. Like I went to the 35th anniversary of the, the 88 Olympics at the, at the library and I watched it and we heard from a lot of the com- people that were part of it. And, you know, we went through the whole 26 I, referendum and it shouldn't have been a referendum. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It shouldn't have been a referendum. We should have, we should have dreamt. We should have said, this is, you know, and I get it. It's a different world, but I just, I don't know if the right term anymore is, do we have any hero or do we have any dreamers? Cause I don't know who dreams anymore. You know what? I'm with you on that one. I think it just seems like the thing that frustrates me the most about the sport community around it from, from people who aren't really immersed in it, you know, it's like, there's the people that are in it and then there's the people that are watching it and don't really care. And that community is actually growing. Like it's, it's not the, the apathetic I, the, the people who don't care about sport. Yeah, it's huge. And it used to yeah. be, it used to be nobody. It used to be That's everybody right. cared about sport in this city. And now the community that isn't, uh, doesn't, and, and, everything I feel like is so that that's a good way of putting it. Cause they're so short-sighted. Mm-hmm. It's all about, no, what is this going to do for me today? Correct. What is the, the cost for me today? Right. I don't care what the implications are in five years from now. Cause that's irrelevant because who personal preference yeah. versus greater good. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's just the short-sightedness to not be able to, to dream is a good way of putting yep. it. Um, that that's the part that's just been like, and I don't even know 
how to connect with those people because I've never been one of those people. I've always, I've always been the person. It's like, like what's, what's going to be 10 years from now? What, what is, I've always been a long-term goal setter. So I don't understand how to think about today and today only and not worry about tomorrow. And that's where we have to be. And I'm glad you said that because I've given up on tomorrow. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing 10, 20, 30 out yeah, now. Yeah. I think we, we've got to educate the next. I, I think of the young girls that are coming up now. We can, we can certainly stop here and talk about the staggering statistics that are just crippling female sport participation, especially at teenage years. Mm-hmm. But I also think some of us are prepared to uh, face it now. I want to pose this to you. As someone who listened to your podcast and has now dabbled a little bit in this, how much of those numbers is because we tre- always have treated girls like boys when it comes to sport? That we've, we, we don't do a good job of letting girls have their own sport and the way they do it. Y- your team name needs to be like everybody else's team name, your you know, your cheers need to be, and, and I am making I'm a really poor example, but it was brought to my attention by somebody that said, part of the reason is because we've always tried to take little girls in sport and turn them into little boys in sport. You guys have come up the system. Yeah, I guess. So I'd, I'd love to know Riz's point of view. I grew up in figure skating. So I, I grew up in a female dominated sport. Um, so it was actually like boys actually were, more stigmatizing okay. and stuff yep. in figure skating. Um, but I think back to the choices of why I ended up in figure skating. And, you know, when I was older, my dad was like, man, I really should have put you in, in women's hockey. I think you would have been really good. Um, but I think back to when I was growing up and it just, there, there wasn't as much of a system and a demand. And um, there wasn't a lot of ice time. I grew up in really far Southeast Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, half in my childhood, the South uh, Fish Creek one all got built and stuff, but yeah. the demand was still so high. So I feel like women's hockey wasn't as sure. big in my area either. So I really ended up in figure skating probably because there was programming. It was available. And my brother played hockey in the other rink. I, I was in Jimmy Condon or Rose Condon. I can't remember which one. And he would play on the, the other, other one. Yeah. yeah. At the same time. So um, I like looking back on my sport journey, like I ended up in that probably because it was more welcomed to females at that time. Um, but I'd love to know Riz's point of view because you were in a lot more, you were in a lot more sports than I was when I was a kid. <laughs> I, you know what's funny? It's like, well, and it's terrible. The, Rob, this is a really deep question actually because I've never thought about this. Like, but I always grew up wanting to challenge the boys and and earn the respect of the boys. Like that's. But didn't you have to do that as a female athlete that played? boy sports so to speak you know, and I'm talking about years ago yeah right? and you're talking about years ago and I, I I don't feel like that and I I say it like this when I say bobsled is is the perfect example of this this negative the negative mm-hmm. way you're 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 associating this so when I went to university I went to U of A I was on a dual scholarship track and field and basketball yep and I'll speak I, I dropped track after my first one but uh, my first year but basketball we had the same rights to scholarships as the boys. It was mm-hmm. the same number. Mm-hmm. We had the gym time was the same. The boys got the early day one mm-hmm. day and the late day the next day. Mm-hmm. We both traveled on the same buses, the same flights. We 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 had the same. It was equal across the board. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that we were. Pit, I was never pitted against the boys. Mm-hmm. 
Then I go to bobsled. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's either me or it's you. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, it was the amount of times that I got told, you know, you can't have that because we think the boys will be more, uh, have a better shot at a medal than you. Like, that's the reason why I ended up buying my own sled because I literally got told in a meeting that I had enough points to, to have the hierarchy to have a better sled. And they said, sorry, we think the men have a better chance of being more successful than you. Right. Like, so, and it was always us against them. And then like, I love my male teammates. I really do. But yep. it was, it, it always is, it was an us versus them. And it was a fight for, for everything. It was fight for track time. It was fight for, for equipment. It was a fight for, um, resources for like, there has been times where I had to stay in a, I had to pay to stay in my own accommodation because I wanted to stay in the better one. I could have stayed in a, a worse one or yeah. I could have paid to stay in this one. And I was like, screw you guys. <laughs> yeah. I'm staying here. Um, like it, like that happened time and time again. And then if you really want to get down to like the foundation of bobsled, when I started, women only did two men yep. and men did four men. Yep. And then I was the first woman to pilot a four man sled with a crew of all women in it. And it was at a time when they made the event gender neutral. Now, what we know now is gender neutral will never work in bobsled because you're talking about the best of the best, the strongest guys, and literally the strongest guys in the world. Now that I'm like, <laughs> like th- these guys are freaks. They're animals. And so are the girls, actually. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. So are the girls. But if you're comparing the best of the best on a men's side, it's like in, a, in a power sport, we're never going to be as fast as those guys. And at the end of the day, when I had four girls in that sled going down, and yes, we were competing as the boys, and no, we did not come close to winning because we had 120 kilos less in that sled yeah. to push it. Because you needed another we, person. We needed That's another, science. We needed a big guy. We yeah. needed a big guy in the sled sure. to be with us just sure. for sci- like it's velocity. Science, yeah. Right? Um, and and I, I remember getting that, and every single guy on the track that day, the first time I took that sled down, was we were in Park City, Utah, and just lining up at the front, just waiting for us to screw up. That's what it was. They were waiting to see the screw up at the top on the load, and then I got to the bottom, and the boys that were waiting for me to be like, how was the drive? I started screaming at them. I have never been so upset because I was so nervous. I was mm-hmm. so nervous. This is like I felt like I was carrying the weight of of – women's sport on my shoulders. Like I sure. was like, I had yeah, to yeah, do yeah. it for the, for the women, you know, that have been fighting for this opportunity. And, and I get to the bottom, I'm like, it was so much easier to drive than to the two man sled because I had so much more control. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you jerks. Like you have been hyping this up to be like the hardest thing that girls can't do. And I'm like, it's flipping easier. It's easier. And I was so mad. And I was just from that on, I was just like, I couldn't, in, in my mind, I'd made myself smaller. Mm-hmm. I'd always had because, you know, where the girls and the boys can do this and that. And then I did it. And I was like, no, are you kidding me? Like, I had just so much more respect for the, like, actually the hands that we, the women had to have because the, the sleds with, right. with less weight in it are actually way harder, harder to drive. Yeah, absolutely. So then fast forward, we don't get it into the Olympics. And then we get the, the monobob in for, for, um, for the 22 games and, and I, I'm grateful for the chance that we, we did get monobob because at least it's two chances and a medal. It did do the right thing in that it actually did get some of the smaller nations into the sport mm-hmm. because you don't have to find a full team. You can just rock up with one girl, even though you can't do it with one girl. That's a whole nother story. But um, at the end of the day, it was still like kind of a little bit of a, a slap on the face because here they're like, okay, well, we don't think you can do four man. So here's monobob. And this is a, an event that was made for para athletes. So, <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's the yin and the yang with both. And I think it's just one thing that, I mean, full circle to your question of, I, I don't, uh, the most powerful night, actually Jesse Lumsden posted this on LinkedIn and he brought it back uh, a couple of days ago and that, that Nike commercial from a couple of years ago. And, uh, it, it, the, you know, it's like women finishing races, showing emotions or competing while pregnant. And it's just like, you're right. Like we can't expect them to do what the men do, but let them do what they do and right. let them do it exceptionally right. well. And let's right. celebrate that. And, and put them in positions to be successful. Exactly. Um, in our couple of, which I don't know where the hell the hour's gone. Um, having said that, which is usual. Um, having said that, uh, new women's soccer league coming. Speaking of kids sport, we were at the same event when that announcement came down. Um, somebody's apparently there might be a women's hockey team coming to Calgary. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, but we saw incredible numbers on uh, for your former sport on on Sunday for basketball LSU and and Iowa Was that uh, yeah. tickets were more expensive than Taylor Swift I believe too <laughs> they were in well, the same town but we're now and then the other part of this <laughs> and it's in your world is yeah. that uh Canadian Tires said they're going to have gender equity and sponsorship by 2026 have we you know, since last we spoke, whatever it was, 18 months ago, two years ago, last time you guys spoke, have we seen a movement forward in female athletics? And that's a very open-ended because... I I think so. Like, I think things are slowly and nothing's going to happen. It's like nothing happens in 15 steps. It's one step at a time. And it's these dreamers, these people. Um, you know, there's there's great people working in the Canadian Tire Sponsorship department um shout out michelle leslie. yeah that's who i was gonna <laughs> that's what i was gonna yeah. say shout out Mich- michelle leslie yeah. um for like being a part of that and, I, and i'm sure the rest of her team but yeah. i think there's great people that care that are putting this forward which shows yeah. we do have good people in canada in sport and in in calgary um ta- going back to your question about dreamers i yeah. think there's a lot of dreamers here i think we need someone to unite those people and someone that can help convey those voices to the people that aren't necessarily getting it right now. Um, the apathetic group and stuff like that. I think, I think we have the people here. I think Calgary can be, I think we have dreamers. It's just about getting everyone in a room and like getting them together and be like, are we doing this? Or are we not doing this? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think Calgary is pretty special. I think, and I mean, Rob, you're talking about dreamers. You keep talking about them. Yep. I think you should be a part of this. <laughs> you're you're talking about it, but you you can be a part of that group. Well, I have a responsibility to be part of that group. You yeah. cannot go out and, you know, again, the the song, well, you didn't hear the song, but the song says, you know, get off my lawn, Snowflake. I can't be the guy <laughs> screaming and, and yelling at the clouds. Like, absolutely, I want to be part of finding that next dreamer. Yeah. Are you happy with where we're going in terms of, you know, you, you talked about women getting drafted in the Western League. But to me, I think the bigger story is these standalone leagues now getting significant deals, significant viewership. Again, mm-hmm. I go back to, you know, back to the Final Four on Sunday. Um, yeah. You know, it was, I grew up in that era that nobody likes women's sports. That's why we don't watch it. Well, you yeah. didn't put it on TV. Yeah, but trust us, nobody likes Nobody wants to watch right. it, right? But that goes back to my point earlier. Yeah. You were also, both of you were raised in eras that said, well, no, no, women's sport doesn't, you know. So if, if somebody tells you country music is bad, country music is bad, country music is bad, you've never heard country music, what are you going to think, right? Exactly. 
Yeah. And, and you know what? It's just to be the devil's advocate and just to be like, listen, I, I want to take this approach where it's logical. It's reasonable. The women's sport product that is out there right now, even versus what it was 10 years ago is, is different. And, and that needs to be celebrated in itself. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think the world was ready to really take on, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Yep. Um, I had a really good conversation actually with um, a girl, uh, one of my, my clients actually um, at the Hitman game on, on, uh, on Monday night. And she played hockey at, at uh, UVS in 2001 and 2006. And we were talking about the hockey game that she played then yep. versus what's on the ice now. now. Right. And you, we like she's the first one to admit. And she's like, we couldn't do what these girls can do right now. Like the yeah. hands that they have, and and I I broke it down in a way that I think makes a lot of sense. It's like, you know, men's sport have been around and celebrated for so long. It's been at a high level for so long. We've been celebrating it. So in the sport itself, like if you even look at men's hockey now, look at like what Connor McDavid, look at what Connor Bedard can do. Yeah. Um, as a as a seventeen year old versus you know what the guys that played 20 years can go. Right. Yes, it, they've gone up, but it's, it, it's a curve. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a curve that goes up, and you get to the top, and it plateaus a little bit. It still goes up, but it's, it's not, not, at, the not, same rate. It's not yeah. at the same rate. Yeah. And women's rate was at the bottom. Women's sport was at the bottom because it wasn't supported. It wasn't, it, and when people aren't, well, why would you play it if, you do, if no one watches it? Or why would you do it if there's not opportunity for you to bring it anywhere, right. to do anything with it? Right. Even when, like, scholarships in women's sport, there wasn't in a lot of the sports that weren't available that where they are even in the last, again, I'll call it 10 to 20 years. Um, and so now that the, there's, like, this calling to it, it's more visible. Mm-hmm. We have more media platforms for people to take it in. We can stream games when we want to watch specific games or specific sports that maybe aren't on mainstream TV. Mind you, who watches mainstream TV anymore? I know I don't. Um, <laughs> so it's like you can actively search the content that you want. And if you're if you're giving yourself the chance, if it's promoted enough, if you're following the channels that you you're like, oh, I want to take that in. And then now we've got this younger generation. It's like, well, I grew up watching that. So now I want to do that and yeah. I'm going to do a better job of it. So right. the, the women's where we're on that curve, we're not even close to the top yet. We're not even like where yeah. women's sport is. It's not even close, but it's going up and it's going up fast. And that's the exciting part. That's what people like really need to, to dream about, to be excited about, because look at how far it's come in a decade. Where are we going to be in, in the next decade? And that is exciting. I think that's what's awesome. I thought, and I don't know, maybe I'm being silly about this. I thought one of the best parts about Sunday's NCAA final mm-hmm. was the next day there was water cooler talk about sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. And so now we're not talking about whether or not anybody belongs. Now we're not talking about anything. Well, I'm mad because they shouldn't have done that or this, uh-huh. which is, you know, what drives sports talk radio, which yep. was drives the, 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 kind of, the drama part of yeah. it, right? And to me, I'm kind of like, well, this is silly, but I kind of like it because it's not criticizing the level of play. It's not, I mean, uh, Caitlin might be the single best shooter in basketball at the college level, period. 
doesn't matter. I don't know how you could, uh, right? Who would even argue that? Yeah. But it, to me, it was, and, and much in the same way, there was a couple years ago where the Americans ran up the score at one of the tournaments. I, I can't remember if it was the World Cup or the Olympics. And they took a beating because they were celebrating. They were beating up some small nation and they scored like 11. And they were still celebrating in the ninth goal. And like people were, I'm like, this is where I want to be where we can finally be critical of a sport because we're not worried about hurting the sport. Or not critical of the sport, but critical of a play in the sport or the action in the sport where you yeah. can have that water cooler. Yeah, where right? we can talk about the, the antics around it. Yeah. I, I think finally we've moved past the do, do they belong, like you said, to we've entered the new era. And I think if that doesn't sum up how fast women's sport has exploded in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. it's like, it's phenomenal. And I totally agree, Riz. We're, we're in that period right now and... um all those people can stop commenting like women don't belong in sport or women can't, you know, be like the voices of sport and stuff like that. And now it's moving into like, what was she thinking? Yeah. Why would she do that? And those stuff like the, that. To me, those are now the same voices that, well, you, you know, you can't do pride nights and you can't do, I think that, that, that's just part of that troll ecosystem. That's yeah. always going to be there. Yeah. And, and to me, that's not what the adults are talking about. You yeah. take your little tinfoil hat, tighten it up, you go in the other room with the trolls, let the adults have a conversation. I think that day, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. To me, that ship has sailed. I hope it has. Right? I hope it has too. Yeah. yeah. Um, this has been fun. It's uh, clear to me that you two need to get back to work. Um, <laughs> it's clear to me that you two need to to get the podcast going if you can. Grace, what's next for you? You said you just started off season training. Yeah, just started off season training, and uh, just yesterday my legs are very sore. And yeah, just getting ready. I'm obviously getting married in, in about six to eight weeks here, and uh, yeah, just enjoying life being back in Calgary after a lot of time away. Okay. Well, you're about to get really busy because <laughs> the off season's coming. <laughs> yeah, the off season. Well, right? I mean, it's uh, we're already thinking about next year. Exactly. And, yeah, I'm already and cro- already busy and CrossFit. Yeah, we know. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We and know. CrossFit. You, we know you're in CrossFit. We get it. Again. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to be that person. Yeah, you're in CrossFit. <laughs> we get it. Uh, Alicia Grace, so great to have you guys on. Hopefully, you'll come back again and do this with me because uh, uh, we just flew by and we really didn't get to half of what I had written down. So this is awesome. Thanks, ladies. Anytime, Rob. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks. Outstanding. Uh, By the way, our guests always brought to you by Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's at the bottom of Windsport. Check them out. Not just skis and snowboards. Uh, Final mile for you. Uh, The Calgary Hitmen are in action tonight, trying to stay, well, not elimination, but trying to avoid falling 3-1 to to Red Deer. That game goes to the Dome at 7 o'clock tonight. Unfortunately, the Flames play a little earlier on television, and they must win game i feel for my friends uh with the uh, with that team it's going to be a little bit hard right now hopefully they can push it to sunday and get a big crowd and kind of apropos the world women hockey championships are underway and i will be watching a calgary and a calgary success story i want to see what carla mcleod has with chechia all due to respect i want canada to win sure and the u.s are going to be strong but what McCarla did last uh, september with that chechia team if you have uh, had the opportunity to hear her speak on that journey um it is one of the best hockey sports talks to sit in and listen as she walks you through culture change for a team that had never medaled in a tournament and to get the bronze medal i am watching with great interest what uh, carla does the coach of the university of calgary dinos um, and see what she does. And again, 
a friend of the program. So I'm hoping when it's over, she's going to come in and see us. Thanks to all of our guests today. Don't forget we're back tomorrow. Tomorrow being Thursday. If you're listening to this on a podcast on the weekend, there's another show after it, but it came on Thursday. JD will be our, here, our UFC insider as well. Eric DeHatchuk in studio. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow right here on Just a Game. Conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks. And some of my opinions you just can't fix. Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky. I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry. Get up my lawn, you snowflake. Before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.